You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here this morning. My guys informed me that the uh, mic that I wear is not working, so I'm going to try to just stay here and not let this thing move. Uh, So bear with me as it might hit me in the face while I'm talking to you. Um, I'm glad you're here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, would you please open them to Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Luke 12, 22 through 34 is where we'll be this morning as we make our way through the gospel of Luke. And before we read our text for today, let's continue on with our memory verse that we've been working on. We memorize one verse per month as a church collectively, and we talk about it for the first few minutes prior to getting into our text for today. And so we've been reading and meditating throughout the week on a passage or a, just a, actually a half of a verse from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Can you guys say it? Short. Ready? And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let's say it again. Ready? And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you remember last week, I gave you the context for this verse by reading with you verses 1 through 12 in Nehemiah chapter 8. God's people had just come back to uh, God's uh, promised land for them. Um, They had returned from being exiled, disciplined by the Lord. And as they returned, as you remember, the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah are consecutive in their timeline. And in Ezra, they rebuild the temple, and in Nehemiah, they rebuild God's city. And as Ezra, the priest, in uh, the book of Nehemiah is reading the book of the law out loud to God's people, they begin to weep. They're grieved because of the remembrance of their sin. And so as they hear the word of the law, as they hear the word of God, they notice that their lives don't match up with what, what the word of God says, with what the law of God says, and they begin to weep because of how far they have gone off. They have been off for a while. They have been living in sin for a while, and God put them in slavery uh, to discipline them, and, and as they return, they just remember their sin. But God offering here a renewal of a covenant, a confession of their sins, and for them to live according to, their, to his words, is a call for them to rejoice. There's repentance possible. There's, there's renewal that's possible. Renewal of their, of their covenant with their God, even though they had lived in sin. Nehemiah chapter 12, about four chapters later, they say, it says, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard 
far away. And that's what comes when realizing that there is restoration, renewal possible with God. And for us, the same is true through the gospel. You have an ability to come near to God, to be reconciled with God, to be forgiven of your sin, and to live for him. And today I want to just focus briefly for just a second on that last portion of this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. This day, this event was a day of worship for them. And instead of grieving and dwelling on past sin, what was offered to them was an ability to rejoice in God's offer of grace and renewal and future and hope. And that grace, what it would do is it would strengthen them for the days ahead. The joy of the Lord, his grace would strengthen them. They would, they would face nations. They would, be, they would be hurt. They would receive discipline, more discipline from the Lord. But the joy that comes from knowing you're in right standing with God makes your joy untouchable. And so in this time, they would understand if God is gracious to them, if they are in right standing with him, if they are abiding in him and his law, no amount of suffering, no amount of condemnation, no amount of oppression, no amount of criticism, no amount of anything could weaken, could weaken them. If they were satisfied in him, that satisfaction in him couldn't be taken away. It's what Paul says the second, in 2 second Timothy to, to Timothy. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so the word of Ezra exposes their sin, but God also offers this blessing of covenant and confession and obedience that they wouldn't be destroyed. They haven't been destroyed. They could have been obliterated off the, off the face of the planet because of their sin, and yet God kept a remnant. He's allowing them to begin again. And today, as they remember his grace in their lives, they would have strength to continue trusting the Lord as they move forward. And so even, if, even for us, in spite of our sin, as God offers obedience, uh, it offers us the opportunity for obedience through the gospel, we trust him. The grace of God given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ strengthens us to move forward and to walk with him. And we have grace and more grace and grace waiting around every, every corner. And that gives us strength. I wanna read this uh, before we before we move on to our text. Uh, a pastor named John Piper writes this that I thought um, was related. I listened to this a, a, a few weeks ago and I thought, hey, I'm gonna bring that up. That's related to this. So he says, all of us have regrets. If we're honest, if we're clear-sighted, we have regrets. At the end of every day, not at the end of every season only, Every day, not just for a, a few big regrets in the past, but for hundreds of things that accumulate over days, over weeks, and over months. What shall then we do with these future-altering regrets that seem to be built up and that one day will be burned up in heaven? Well, Paul says two really helpful things. He says, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
whereas worldly grief produces death. Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, uh, what's going on here is this, this grief could have led them to a worldly grief to where they would just sit and weep all day. That wouldn't bring about repentance and following God. And so what he wanted to happen was godly grief, to turn to God because of the awareness of their sin. In other words, there's a kind of looking back with remorse that leads to gracious, to, to gracious repentance and takes future ruining stings out of the remorse. He says, to be sure, the scars of the damage of our sins can sometimes not be reversed. But we know that Paul's point is that godly repentance and godly remorse is full of hope. These things will not destroy our future of our, of our joy. Paul had a horrific past. He knew the pain that he was talking about here because it referred to his past. As he says, he was the chief of sinners and he actually had a hand in murdering Christians. Imagine how that hung over Paul the rest of his life. He took the life of Christians, which is probably why he said this final word. And you can hear him battling in his mind. One, do, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And that must have been a battle. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. The conclusion is, is that it's pointless to try to figure out whether you're living in plan A or plan B or plan X or plan Y. You're living in the rest of your life. And in the gospel today, Christ offers you repentance and renewal and restoration. And it's leading to a perfect happiness forever in his presence. Throw yourself today onto him. Repent today with great expectations that God will use your life. And so with that encouragement from the book of Nehemiah, let's look to our passage now in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Let's read together. He says this. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For this life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you who are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today, alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the, to the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. 
Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now what we're seeing here as we look at this text is Jesus training his disciples to pursue God and the gospel and not greed and giving them the reasons that they don't have to worry about provisions while they do so. That's the, that's the doctrine that's being made known here, the particular doctrine that Jesus is making known. Let me say it again. To, for, for, he's training his disciples to pursue God and to pursue the gospel and not to pursue greed. And the reason that they don't have to worry about provisions while they do this. That's why I've entitled this message, <laughs> Pursuing God and Not Greed, and the reasons not to worry about provisions while doing so. That's the main point of this section. That's what God is calling of his true disciples. And that's what he's saying here. You see, even it says at the, uh, at the end of our passage in verse 30, for the nations of the world seek after these things. Don't seek after greed, right? Verse 31, instead seek his kingdom and these things will be added. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This passage is probably feeling familiar because Jesus spoke these same words on the Sermon on the Mount back, and we can see in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus oftentimes said the same things at different times and at different places. He spoke, he, he preached the same sermon. He, he would say the same things. And so we see that he has been saying this and he's continuing to say this, but now he's training his disciples on the road to to Jerusalem, Matthew 6, 33, he says the same, same thing. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So, and uh, we also see at the end of our passage, as I mentioned, Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We pursue God, we pursue his glory, we pursue the gospel, right? And then God provides as we do that. Philippians 3, we see a picture of, of Paul putting God first. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, here's what his goal was of his life. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, let all of us who are mature think this way. Those who are mature pursue God and his gospel first. That's the primary goal of your life, right? And this is what Jesus is making clear. Pursue God and not greed for the purpose of your life. Pursue God and his glory in the gospel and not greed as the purpose of your life, right? Philippians 1, Paul said this, 
For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to live in the flesh, that only means one thing, fruitful labor for me, right? Pursue God and the gospel and his glory as the main purpose of your life, the one thing you pursue here on earth. Matthew 6, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In the context of slavery, if you were to have two slave owners and one is beating you and telling you what to do, but you don't feel like you totally belong to that slave owner, you will despise him for trying to uh, exercise that much authority over your life, right? In the same way, God must have all authority in your life and you will obey and do what he says. Colossians 3 says, Paul says, if then we have been raised with Christ, here's the one thing that we're to do in our lives. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So one scholar writes, true disciples are to seek his kingdom. It points to the concentration on all that the kingdom involves. Disciples have pledged themselves to their one master. They must accordingly spend their time doing his work, seeking his kingdom. This will mean trying to produce in their own lives conduct that's appropriate to those who have accepted God's rule. And it will also mean trying to bring others into this kingdom. For that how is how the kingdom grows. So we, here's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Here's the main point, the doctrine that he's making clear. Pursue God and not greed, okay? And then he's making clear, while you are seeking the gospel, while you are seeking God, while you are pursuing his kingdom, while you are making his, him known, he says, I will provide. And, uh, and he says it, and it, 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 what ties everything together here is his words, do not be anxious or do not worry. That's how we usually uh, uh, um, uh, label this passage, do not worry, do not be anxious. But he's talking about something very specific in that. And so we see it in verse 22. He says, do not worry or do not be anxious. In verse 29, he says, do not worry, do not keep worrying. In verse 20, 32, he says, do not be afraid. But what he's saying here is, don't fail to trust in God's provisions as you make him the main goal of your life, right? He promises to provide for every need. So look at Philippians chapter four. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. This is what Paul said. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret. What's the secret? The secret is trusting God that he will provide for his every need as he makes God his main priority, right? Facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is the context of that verse dealing with God's provisions. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So the call of this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, pursue me and my gospel and trust me to provide along the way. So now let's move into the division of this matter. Let me make clear this point or this proposition from, or this doctrine from this particular text. I wanna show you a few divisions today. Usually I'm gonna to give you a preview to the divisions of the text that make this point clear. 
I want to also show you and preview for, uh, preview for you what we're going to be doing in the next three weeks through this passage, because we're only taking uh, the first uh, three verses today, 22 through 25, 22, 23, 24, 25, four verses. So here's how Jesus is going to make this main point clear throughout the whole text. Today, week one, he's going to show us how life is about more. Pursue God, not greed, and trust God to, provi- to provide for you along the way. Why? Number one, first week today, because life's about more than just accumulating provisions. Second week, he's going to make clear that you should pursue God and not greed, and he'll provide for you along the way. Why? Because your life is so important to him. And number three, third week, he's going to say, pursue God, not greed. I'll provide for you along the way. And he's going to describe worldly worries versus kingdom concerns. And so today, we're going to be covering the first week, which is life is about more. This is the first week. Don't pursue greed as your main priority of your life. Life is about more, mainly, namely, God and the gospel. So let's move into the division of this matter. The headings and the divisions of the text made clear from this, these particular verses. Here's the three points I'm going to show you. Number one, do not spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned about the provisions of this life. Okay, it's a little long, but that's what he's saying. Do not spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned about the provisions of this life. This is going to build on itself. Number two, because life is about more than providing for your life. Here's here's how it's going to build. Ready? Life is about more than providing for your life. And number three, God will provide for you as you prioritize Christ in the gospel because you are so valuable to him. Okay, so let's, let's make these clear from the text by taking them one at a time. Number one, do not spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned about the provisions of this life. Verse 22. I think we're only going to verse 24, so I told you wrong earlier. Verse 22. And he said to his disciples... Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, your body, what you will put on. Okay, simple. Now, let's pick apart these verses. Look at them with me. He starts this passage with the word and, right? And it may seem like a small word, but what that does is connect us with the previous set of verses. It connects us with the previous passage. And don't take those things for granted when you read the Bible, okay? Uh, Luke is helping us here to follow the point. Stay with me. He's helping us to follow the point so that we can understand what Jesus is saying. Without the word and, you might think we're in a different setting with a different topic, right? And that Jesus is starting a new, uh, 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 a new speech, But we're connected here. He's connecting this to what he's previously just said. He said to his disciples, right? So he says, it says, and he said to his disciples. So listen, Luke again is helping us. Jesus is still doing what he's been doing during this whole time of his discourse. What is he doing? He's talking to his disciples. 
Luke is showing us, and he said, and he said to his disciples, Luke is showing us that he's saying more to his disciples here. Meaning, and he also said, he has more to say to his disciples in addition to what he's already been telling them. Okay, that's what we're seeing here, like this. And he said to his disciples, right? That's what he's describing here. He's got more to say. This is important because if you remember last week, I told you this is one long sermon from chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 9. This is one long discourse, okay? Chapter 12, verse 1 to chapter 13, verse 9. And in the details of this, we understand that what he's doing is still talking to his disciples. He's still training his disciples. This gives us insight. And he said to his disciples, it tells us we're still in that discourse. He's, he's training his disciples on the road to Jerusalem. He's talking to them, okay? And remember, there's tens of thousands. We saw that in chapter 12, verse 1, of people, the crowds that are following him. Mostly they're curious, some are trying to catch him, and others are genuine disciples. But it says, listen, in chapter 12, verse 1, he began to say to his disciples first. So the crowds are coming, he turns and he tells the disciples something, right? In chapter 12, verse 22, or chapter 15, uh, verse 15, chapter 12, verse 15, it says he did the same thing. Crowds were coming, man speaks up, he wants his inheritance, but he turns and talks to them, the disciples. And now here in chapter 12, verse 22, it says again, and he said to his disciples, right? So it's just helping us to follow this discourse. And what has he been saying so far in this discourse? That spiritual hypocrisy and greed are the two main issues that will keep people from the gospel. Spiritual hypocrisy and greed. And once again, here within this discourse, he's training his disciples. And so they have believed, they've decided to follow him. They've decided to give up their lives for the gospel. They're to be different from the world. And at this point, he says this in chapter 12, verse 22. Look at our verse again. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you. In the NASB, for this reason, I say to you. At this point, you got a red light going out, going on in your mind, right? For what reason? For this reason, I tell you, for what reason? Therefore, I tell you, why is that word therefore? What is it therefore, right? It's connecting us to something. What reason? Now, here's where it gives us main insight to this point. Again, this connects us with the previous section of what Jesus had just said. What did Jesus just say? Well, he said last week, remember? Wealth, possessions, they don't define your life before God. It doesn't make your status before God all good. Right? Remember that from last week? He just said that last week. Even when one has a lot, even when one has a lot, that it's not what gives life. Your life doesn't consist in, you can't find life in, the abundance of possessions. It's not what makes your life. It's not what God assesses. He doesn't look at someone and say, you're all good before me because you're all good on, on earth, 
right? Do you remember this? He says, you must be rich towards God, meaning rich in his eyes, treasures in heaven, like our passage says. Literally, this is not where life is found. Life is not found in the abundance of possessions. It can't be found there. That's what he just said, right? So, now, therefore, I tell you, because life can't be found there, see the connection? Because no eternal life can be found in the abundance of possessions. Because it doesn't make your soul all good before God. Because of your mortality and because that your, your, one day your soul will be required before a holy God. One day you will have to pay the penalty of your sin if you don't know Christ. You can't just assume I'm going to sit back, relax in retirement. My life is all good before God because I have an abundance of of possessions that doesn't make your life all good before God. Because that is true. Now, therefore, I say to you, disciples, don't pursue the riches of this life. Don't be anxious about this life. It, It doesn't do anything for you before God. Therefore, don't pursue this. Life is about more than that. You see the connection here? You're anxious about this life. And I just told you that it doesn't give you life. Therefore, don't be anxious about it. He says in verse 22, and that that, this is where it makes sense. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Right. Along with spiritual hypocrisy and greed. There are two main things that will hinder people from seeing the gospel, from seeing the gospel. And he's saying it's greed and it doesn't do anything for you before God. Therefore, don't pursue it. Don't pursue it. Now, if you, we, we know that this is a main issue. Look at Luke chapter eight, verses nine through 15. You remember the, this parable of the seeds and the soils? Look at this. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away from the uh, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a little while and in a time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by look at this. Ready? The cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. In Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 19, if you guys are reading your, your uh, year-long Bible, right? You, you hanging with me? You hanging with all of us? I was gonna suggest to you guys, by the way, if you guys are behind, which I know our church is not behind, right? <laughs> no one in this church would be behind. Um, why don't you get a friend? And why don't you go say, hey, look, we're gonna have a two-hour study time. And we're going to catch up so that we don't fall behind and give up on this before the year ends. You know, why don't you, maybe it's going to take you three or four hours, right? Maybe your spouse will be so gracious to take the kids. 
go, you, you can catch up, right? But as I was reading in Acts chapter 16, I don't know how many days ago it was, look at this. It says this, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept on doing for many days. Paul having, uh, have, having become greatly annoyed, turned to her and said to, uh, and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hours. But when her owners, look at this, there's this work of God, but when her owners saw that their hope for gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them off into the marketplaces before the rulers. This is, this is what will prevent disciples from being faithful to God or even people receiving the gospel, that their gain is gone, right? Or it will choke out the gospel. He's telling them it doesn't produce life. Therefore, don't be anxious about your life. It doesn't make you right before God. It doesn't define your life. It doesn't make you all good in your eternity. Therefore, now, for this reason, I say, don't be anxious about your life. Your life is about more. What he's saying here when he says, do not be anxious about your life. Now we're moving on. Do not worry about your life. He's talking about your earthly life. That's what it's translated to. Literally, your living being, your physical life. Meaning, literally, he's saying this. Stop worrying about this life. He's not coddling them here. He's just saying, stop it. Oftentimes, we maybe think we're victims to, to something like this. He's just saying, stop it. Stop worrying about life, eating, wearing. Stop making that your main priority. What Jesus means is this. Do not spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned about the provisions of this life. Greed. Don't be concerned with this life. Don't be preoccupied with this life. Don't be consumed with this life. Don't prioritize this life. Don't be constantly thinking about what you need for self, for your life on earth, to ensure your, your provisions as your main priority, as your main concern, as your primary uh, pursuit. Think and chiefly be concerned about God and his gospel. Don't be worried don't be anxious. The Greek word now means to worry or to have anxiety or to be concerned with. I want to show you some passages where we find that word. Look at this in Luke chapter 10, verse 41. But the Lord answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled. There it is, about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 34. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man, and if you have questions about this text after I read it, you can go read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It'll make clear. You're like, what is he saying? Um, but the point is made clear here about what he means by anxious, because it's the same word that's used here. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Sorry, wives. <laughs> and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. By the way, he says it's, it's okay and good to be married. 
in this context, but he, you can see what he's saying. Don't be anxious about other things. Don't be primarily concerned with the world. Don't primarily prioritize this, this life. So this is what he's telling us. Do not be concerned with this life, life in this world. In context of the worry is about this. Ready? I'm moving on. What's the worry? Well, the worry deals with greed, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, which is, or last week, wondering if you will get more of what you want to get. Remember what we talked about with greed? Greed is wanting more. He said, beware whenever you want more. And so here he's saying, don't be worried, meaning don't wonder if you're just gonna get more of what you want to get your whole life. Don't be worried or anxious about your life. Don't be just constantly concerned with if you're going to get more for self since it doesn't give you life before God. Greed is wanting more. Worry is afraid that you won't get what you want, which is more. It doesn't define this life. It doesn't define life in the kingdom. It's not your priority. And then he says some specific as to what you will eat. So in this context, he's talking about possessions. Eating is still a possession here. He says, don't be primarily concerned with this life. And then he says, as to what? What you eat. What you eat. Not something bad. What you eat is not bad. What you need to eat is not bad unless it becomes the priority of your life. Right? Unless your life is constructed around your salary so that you can buy more groceries. Unless you primarily pursue a job and your salary because eating is the way to survive and the main goal of your life is survival in this life. If that's your priority, then it is bad. If it's what your life is about, if you prioritize your life here on earth, if this is what you're primarily concerned with, preventing you from prioritizing Christ and his gospel. And then he says, don't be concerned either with the body. The same thing in the sense of not being anxious about it. Don't be primarily concerned with this. Don't prioritize it. And then he says, as to clothing. This was important in the Middle Eastern culture, right? They needed clothes for the heat of the day to protect them. But he says, don't prioritize providing for yourself in this life. Don't build all your concerns around this. So let me tell you, God has given us priorities to give, to, to have, and they are him and his gospel. He pr promises to provide along the way. He tells us that he will give us things, and many of us he has blessed. He has blessed many of us with great provisions, right? And that's a good thing, but they are only to be used for his glory, for his good, for his gospel. They're not to become the point and the purpose of our lives. That doesn't make any sense, right? So let me tell you the progression here 
He's saying, beware of greed, of covetousness, true life before God is not found in this. It won't define or determine your life before God. God blessing, God's blessings are not inherently bad, but God made them for good. But beware and be on your guard to make Christ and the gospel first. Don't let them distract you or blind you from the gospel because that's the only thing that matters. And disciples don't mainly be concerned about this or prioritizing this as your main priority of your life, your possessions. It's too nearsighted to ensure just your life here on earth. The wisdom of the world tells you to focus on these things like storing food and storing clothing, right? Matthew 4, 4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is what he tells us. And then he tells us, secondly, it leads to this. Why? Because life is about more than providing for your life. Verse 23. He told us in verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Verse 23. Ready? For life is about more, is more than food and the body more than than clothing. This is progressing. And what Jesus is saying here is all supporting the title. Pursuing God, not greed. Jesus will, God will provide for you along the way. Don't build your life on wanting more. Why? Because your life is about more. You're not an animal. Right? You're not, you're not like the animals that God has, has created to where your life is only about providing for your life in that any given moment. It's about more. In other words, here, life is about more. You exist for a greater purpose. Your life has a higher goal, a higher calling. Verse 23 says for. Verse 23, look at it with me. It says for. Meaning this, here's the grounds that I've just told you what I was, what I, what I just told you. Here's the grounds. Here's the reason for, here's the reason why I told you this. This is building. Life is about more than food and the body is about more than clothing. It's using the same pairs as the previous verse. And it says, this life is about more than food. It's about more than storing up possessions for yourself, Right? Your body is more than about storing up clothing for yourself. It's easy to understand what Jesus is saying. Life is about more than providing for your life. He's got a purpose for you. Listen, he's got purposes for you. And the purpose of your life is for his kingdom. It's not just for providing for your life food and clothes. That doesn't make any sense that you would pursue that as your number one priority, that you would be consumed with your job and your provisions all the days of your life. Great that God has provided those things for you, but that doesn't make any sense to make that the goal and the priority of your life. You've got an eternity waiting. And the thing that's important is your right standing before God. And others need to know God in order to have right standing with God. It doesn't make any sense for you to make that the main priority of your life. It's more. It's about his kingdom. It's more than surviving here. 
This is what God has given us things to assist in our mission, to assist us to know him better and to make him known better. We are stewards of God's gracious gift, but we live for his glory, his purposes. He's training his disciples. Don't spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned with the provisions of this life because your life is about more than providing for your life. It's about the gospel. It's about it's about bringing his kingdom here on earth. It's about helping others to be comforted by the gospel of Jesus Christ that provides forgiveness for their sins. It's about knowing God through Christ and his gospel. It's about loving others. It's about helping people to understand his message. It's about providing forgiveness for sinners. It's about repentance and forgiveness and eternity and a holy God. It's about those who want to come out of the chaos of sin and come into his eternity. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, but I don't count my life as any value nor precious to me. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received to the Lord from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of grace. He's saying there is no other purpose of my life. Right? The, the life is more than food and the body's more than clothing. So, Romans 12, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's not just to put on clothes and look good. It's about the service of God. Why is God giving you a body? To serve him, right? So number three, what we see Jesus is saying here as we just build, number one, do not spend your life prioritizing or being overly concerned with the provisions of this life. Why? Number two, because your life is about more. And I just plead with you on that. If you, if you believe that your life here on earth is simply just about providing for your life and so your job is your main identity and your main goal and your main purpose, you've missed it. You've really missed it. And your eternity is on the line. You're going to die one day. You are going to die. The mortality rate, right? The mortality percentage is 100%. You will die. And, and you will face God. And your abundance of possessions will not make you in right standing before him. Only Christ and the gospel who makes you rich before God. Therefore, don't spend this life building that as your main priority. Your life is about more. Knowing God through his word and advancing his kingdom. And then here, number three, trusting him to provide for you along the way. That's it. You trust him to provide along the way. Verse 24, by the way, I'm getting all of these points directly from the text. So if you want to take these points and go home and say, how did he get this from these verses? Do that. That's all I'm doing is explaining to you what's already here. I'm not making something up or coming up with a good uh, sermon or speech. I'm just exposing what's already in the book. Ready? Verse 24, last. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than, than the birds? So... God will provide for you along the way because you are so valuable to him. 
How, here's the question at hand. Well, Sam, if I pursue God and the gospel and Christ as my first priority, how, if I prioritize that differently than the world, world does, and, I do, and I'm not living a greedy life, if I prioritize the gospel, if I love him first, if I experience him first, if I know him first, if I depend on him first, his word, prayer, make him the, the goal of my life, his kingdom, even in all my job situations, want to pursue and help others get to know him and redeem this world, if I want to glorify him, if I want to, if I want to do all that first, how am I going to be provided for? How can I ensure that I'll have what I need? And he gives an answer here. That's what he's answering. He will know your life. He will be attentive to your life. On his own initiative, because of his own care, God takes care of you. God knows what you need. God feeds the birds. God clothes the grass. God gave you the kingdom. And if everything else was asked to be taken away by God and you would have him and him alone in his kingdom, would you live for him? Because you know he will provide for everything that, that you need. This is, this is what he's mentioning here. And by the way, this is what the Bible describes as a Christian. Give up your life to have Christ. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Or Luke 9, 23 through 25. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit himself? Matthew 8, 20. Jesus said to them, foxes have holes, birds of the ears have net, air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You're gonna follow me and trust that I'll provide even if it's just a, a nest, even if it's just a hole? As you prioritize his kingdom, his gospel, forgiveness, lordship, as you build your life around this, trusting that he will provide enough for you. Or your option is to pursue greed, which doesn't make you rich before God. Verse 24, let me just show you this and we'll be done. Consider the ravens. I love this because he's giving us a real life example here. Now look at this pattern. Look, ready? In our verses, 22 through 24, check out this pattern. He gives command, then he gives reason, and then he gives support, meaning this. Don't be anxious about your life, for your life is about more. Consider the ravens. He's gonna do the same thing next week. He's gonna use the same pattern, and he uses the word consider again for that last time. He says this next week. Instead of a command, he gives a question, which is kind of like a command, right? Because it's telling you what to do, what not to do, but just more indirectly. Question, support, and then he gives you another consider. This is the pattern here. He's doing this twice in a row. Command, reason, consider, command, reason, consider. The consider is the support. So right now, we're in the support He's supporting what he just said by giving you a real-life example. Ready? Verse 24, consider or think about. He says the ravens or the crows. 
which are some of the most fragile and maybe the most insignificant. Sorry, bird lovers, <laughs> right? Insignificant um, on the planet. That's why he uses them. And he says, consider them and how they're an object of God's care, which by the way, God has used this over and over in the scriptures. Look at Psalm 147, nine through 11. He gives to the beasts their food, to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. And then he says this, they neither sow, that means scatter the seed, right? Or reap, that means accumulate a crop, specifically from the fruit of their own efforts, right? They do no agricultural activity. You do, right? But they are totally dependent upon God, only capable of picking up what is provided for them. They work and we work. That's an okay thing. We work. It doesn't mean we don't work. Birds are workers. You ever see that? They're crazy. But... It's God who provides ultimately for them, right? Job 38, 41, who provides for the ravens its prey? When its young one cries to God for help and they wonder about for lack of food, who provides for them? Psalm 104, 27 talks about the, even the, the, the fish in the sea. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. So they don't accumulate in the, uh, an abundance of possessions. It says this, ready? Look at our verse again. We're almost done. They don't have storehouses. They don't have barns. Remember like the man in the parable? They don't have those things. They only get what they want for the moment. And yet somehow they survive. Somehow they survive even though they're focused on something other than accumulating an abundance of possessions. They survive. How do they survive? God feeds them. God gives them. God sustains them. God is the source, sustainer, intimately evolved, involved. He's attentive. How much more, he says, valuable are you than birds? The argument is moving from the lesser to the greater, which is the common Jewish teaching. Lesser, greater. If this, how much more this? Right? If that, how much more that? This is what they're doing here. So the same thing in chapter 12, verses 6 through 7, when he said this. He said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Right? Not one of them is forgotten before God. And then he says, you are more value than many sparrows. So... He cares for them moment by moment, sustaining them. They can't do anything for themselves. He will do something even greater for you, which is his very good creation. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Psalm 34, 10, those who seek the Lord, this is, could be the summary of the whole sermon. I could just give you this small verse. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Church, in closing, here's, here's what... We must learn. And I pray you learn it. I know it's so obvious. These verses are so simple. We're just trying to dissect them. But here's what I hope you learn. Be on guard from wanting more. That's what Jesus said last week. Because all that matters is that you're rich before God in Christ. 
Therefore, don't prioritize this life and the pursuit of greed and gain, of possessions, because God's got a greater purpose for your life, namely to pursue him, his glory, and his gospel. And as you do that, in your job, throughout your weeks, in your family, God will provide for all that you need. It might seem foolish in the eyes of the world because you have heavenly priorities, but God will provide for you because you are so valuable to him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, we, we just ask that you would take these verses and apply them to our lives so that we would be people just like Jesus, you're training the disciples to not worry about this life. Don't be anxious about this life, not to prioritize this life. Jesus, you needed to train your disciples in this so that they would be willing to die for your namesake to advance your mission. God, just as you taught them, the disciples, that their life is about more than accumulating possessions like food and clothing. It's about eternal things. It's about knowing you, receiving forgiveness from you through the gospel, first and foremost, and being in right standing with you. And then it's about knowing you through your word. And then it's about making you known to others. And yet, God, I know that you, as you show us, had to teach your disciples that because they are so valuable before you that you will provide for them along the way as they prioritize you. And this would empower them and strengthen them not to be anxious, but to go and live on mission. I pray that it would do the same for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.